crime is real. We have tangible evidence in courtrooms where we debate the truth. But what happens when the paranormal, an area where real is subjective, intersects with crime? This is one of those rare moments when we get to put on our detective hats and grab a Ouija board at the same time. But don't worry, your belief in ghosts is not on trial in this episode, but you'll certainly need to be open-minded to the fact that the cases on this countdown were affected by someone else's belief in them. I've got number one for this countdown, and it's a case of ghost hunting gone deadly, and a verdict that was relevant nearly 200 years later. you weirdos. Welcome to Crime Countdown, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Ash. And I'm Elena. Every week we'll highlight 10 fascinating stories of history's most engaging and unsettling crimes, all picked by the Parcast Research Gods. This episode, we're counting down the top 10 ghastly ghostly crimes. It's like a tongue twister. (laughs) It is. I think if you know me, then you know that I am a spooky gal (laughs) who loves all things spooky, including the supernatural. Yes. I just believe that there's way too many sightings for ghosts not to be real. And personally, I've had some myself. You know what? That's the thing. I also love the supernatural. And if I hadn't seen unexplainable things with my own eyes, I would likely be a little more skeptical because, you know, my mind always wants to find the logic in everything. It does? I know, it's, it's shocking. Who knew? I'm revealing this for the first time ever. Secrets revealed on Crime <laughs> Countdown with Elena. But I've definitely seen things that I can't logic away. So yeah. I'm a believer a little bit. It goes without saying that you are way more logical than I am. <laughs> I'm all about like the whimsy, yes. like the whimsy of breaking down what my dreams mean and yes. just trying to find signs and everything. Because I really do believe that if you look closely enough, like at the world around you and you ask for signs from spirits, like, listen to me, I'm so whimsical. Hello, spirits. Can I have a sign? But I, I talk to the spirits all the time. And I think that if you ask for it, then you'll get what you're looking for. I love that. That's so wholesome of you. Thanks. It's just like pure and lovely. Thank you. Very whimsical. You know. My number one is not so whimsical. Uh, I'll be talking (laughs) about one ghost hunter who asked and received a lot more than he was asking for. Well, I I told you that you'll get something. Yeah, you'll get something. Well, that's right, because Elena has five ghastly ghostly crimes, and so do I. But neither of us knows what will be on the other one's list. Let's start the countdown. Hello, lover of things that go bump in the night. This is Dan Cummins. And I'm Lindsay Cummins. And we co-host the paranormal horror podcast, Scared to Death. Are shadow people real? What about demonic possessions? Poltergeist activity? Do you believe in ghosts? Malevolent entities? Are aliens real? Could you be abducted? We don't know. But what we do know is that we have over 230 episodes of stories on our podcast, Scared to Death, exploring all of the possibilities. Each week, we share several supposedly true stories that have been gathered from around the world and submissions from our own fans of allegedly true tales. Curious about the paranormal? Just like a spooky story? Do you need more fear to fuel you through your long workdays? Come join us. New episodes of Scared to Death are released every Tuesday night. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. We hope you end up scared to death. Ten.
I'll start us off with number 10, former Ohio police officer Joseph Hughes. Officer Hughes was accused of theft in 2008 when he was still working as a police officer. By the time of his trial in 2011, stolen items had been found in Hughes's basement, but he claims he was unaware of the stolen goods because he never went down into the basement due to the ghosts that were in that room. <laughs> right. You know what? I feel that because <laughs> the studio in our house growing up yeah. where Ma used to paint, Yep. I don't go in there. Yeah, I refuse I to go in there. It used to be my room at one point. Were you like super little? Yeah, I was super little. Oh, wow. Yeah. I slept in there like a few times. And the last time I did, I was like, well, I'll never be in here again. (laughs) I'm not going to do it. Goodbye. Well, in the other, like, I was just trying to think of like rooms that I've totally avoided. Remember, we went to visit the Lizzie Borden house. Yeah. And we avoided just about every room. (laughs) But specifically (laughs) uh, Abby Borden's room. Yeah. And the basement. So all the rooms. You know, I get it. I see you, Officer Hughes. I get it. Well, Officer Hughes had a large number of charges related to theft against him. 21 charges, to be exact. That's a pretty big number. Yeah, it's pretty that large. That number's old enough to drink, so that's an old number. <laughs> <laughs> well, stolen property belonging to the county that was found in his basement, according to the Columbus Dispatch, ranged from, quote, a heater and a welder to an air conditioning unit labeled auditor, making it clear it was from the county office. Oof. Also very <laughs> random items to yes. steal. When he was asked about the stolen property in his basement, he claimed he didn't know what was there. Uh, You gotta do what you gotta do. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. He reportedly said in court something a lot better than I don't know. He said, it's going to sound kind of ridiculous, but we believed there was some kind of paranormal presence in the basement. It sounds kind of ridiculous, but there was evidence to support it. I feel like if you're really trying to like sell this story, don't begin both sentences with it sounds kind of ridiculous because you're just really hammering in what I already think. Because like what I'm going to tell you might be shocking and sound like a lie, but I'm telling the truth. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. (laughs) It's going to sound like I'm lying right to your face. okay? but I'm not. I I know it's going to sound like I'm lying, but I'm not. (laughs) Just doubling down there. Well, despite his claim that he had proof. He surprisingly lost with that legal defense. He did? So crazy, I know. The prosecutor claimed that in his decades of experience, he had never heard of a defense like that. He told local news, probably as odd as I've ever heard was the first. I've been practicing since 1983, and I can say that's the first time I've heard of paranormal activity in the course of a trial. (laughs) The jury found Officer Hughes guilty of 18 of those theft charges. So a couple of them were due to the ghost. Yeah, you know, just gave him a couple. Yeah, three. Nine. At number nine is the Ghostbusters ruling. In the village of Nyack, New York, about 20 miles north of Manhattan, sits a beautiful house known locally as the Ghost House. It was owned by a woman named Helen Ackley from the 60s to the 80s who claimed it was haunted. And in 1991, the courts agreed with her. I love how just like right to the point that name is. It's the Ghost House. The Ghost House. It's just what it is. It's just... That's a haunted house. Helen calls it like she sees she it. She does. She's like, it's a ghost house. It's not like the dog house. No, ghosts live there. <laughs> it's it's ghost. their house. Helen Ackley would tell stories about interactions with spirits in the house that would run in local papers and in Reader's Digest. Okay, Helen. She's getting it. She's going to be, you know, you got to do it. If you have Go ghosts in your house, tell the stories. If you own the ghost house. <laughs> yeah, that's yours. But then Helen decided to move out of the home and things got weirder. Yeah, abandoned homes always get weird. There you go. 
Helen was sued by a man named Jeffrey Stambovsky, who bought the house but wanted to back out of the contract because Helen neglected to tell him it was haunted. Is that legal? I feel like it probably is. I think it. De- I actually <laughs> yeah. think it depends on where you live. As long as she told him about the water damage, that's really all that matters. Yeah, is there mold? Yeah, that's really all that you can do. The New York Supreme Court sided with him and the house was legally declared haunted and he was allowed to back out of the deal. Legally declared haunted. Wild. It's a case famously known as the Ghostbusters ruling. Wow. (laughs) The argument being that the haunting was publicly acknowledged by Helen in publications like Reader's Digest. So it created a stigma around the property. Okay. They do have a point there. Well, she's writing all these articles about it. It's like, research the home you're about to buy, sir. That's very true. That's what I think. It's like, sure, you can you can use that as an argument. Like, she did write some stuff about it that it's haunted. I feel like there was another reason he wanted to back out, and he was like, oh, I can just get her on the fact that it's haunted. There you go. A number of famous people have since lived in the house, including director Adam Brooks and singer Ingrid Michaelson. Hey! Who sang my wedding song. Yeah, <laughs> so I love that song. That's a fun little connection to this. The Toronto Star reports that after Helen and her family moved out, the ghosts did too, because all other owners of the home say the house is beautiful and not seemingly haunted. Maybe Ingrid Michaelson saged it. Maybe she did. She sang in a song. I was going to say, she probably just wrote beautiful music in there and the energy just like shifted. The energy just got beautiful. I think it's more about energy than it is about ghosts. There you go. You heard it here first with Ash. (laughs) A realtor named Nancy Blaker Weber, who has had the listing on the house several times, confirms that there doesn't seem to be a ghost problem. She told People Magazine, quote, This is the third time I have had the opportunity to list and sell this home. So I've logged a lot of time here. If there's anything I've felt, it is a warmth and creative spirit that exists in this beautiful home. I've never experienced anything that would lead me to feel it's haunted. Here I am, though. Not sure we should be listening to the realtor who wants to sell the home. She's trying to get that 2% commish. If you're going to like sell based on like creativity and beautiful creative spirit or like actual ghost spirits i feel like most of the time you want to sell with the the other one yeah it's just a nicer way to say like there's ghosts here there's creative spirit here that's all yeah i don't know but you know what i wouldn't go i wouldn't fight the legally haunted thing i like want to buy a haunted home yeah i feel like that's my responsibility if it's a famously haunted home that's my responsibility to know Eight. Number eight on our countdown of ghastly, ghostly crimes is the Saudi family that sued a genie. Oh, let's get it. This is an easy <laughs> case to laugh at, obviously. But the belief in genies is common in Islamic cultures, and many Saudis think genies are capable of demonic possession and revenge. Not unlike how we believe in hauntings in the U.S., In this case, a Saudi family sued a genie after their invisible intruder began harassing them. First, I didn't know that genies were like that. Nor did I. Yeah, I had no idea that that was a thing, so that's very interesting. I think it's cool. But like to sue a supernatural entity? Yeah, because like I haven't heard of anybody suing ghosts around here, but you know. I'm sure someone has. You got to put a stop to the harassment somehow. (laughs) You got to. Well, this family lived in the same house for 15 years, but had only fully become aware of the genie's wrath of theft and harassment in the past two years. According to CNN, the lawsuit was filed in the Sharia court. 
It, quote, accuses the genie of leaving them threatening voicemails, stealing their cell phones, and hurling rocks at them while they leave their house at night. Okay, the hurling rocks at them? I'm like, yeah, that's some poltergeist stuff for sure. Yeah, the threatening voicemails? Voicemails? Excuse me? I need direct quotes. Please provide those. Hit me with a direct quote. Yes. Local court officials reportedly say, quote, we have to verify the truthfulness of this case despite the difficulty of doing so. What makes this case and complaint more interesting is that it wasn't filed by just one person. Every member of the family is part of this case. Wild. I mean, like they're all in on it. Yeah, we're all in this together. It's like, does it make it more interesting or more worrisome that they all might be being affected by something? Worrisome. I think interesting. A good, a healthy mixture of both. Yeah, there you say. go. There you go. A little dash of that, a little dish yeah. of that. Well, the head of the family has said in interviews, quote, we began hearing strange noises. In the beginning, we didn't take it seriously. But after that, stranger things started happening and the children got really scared when the genie began throwing stones. Well, that just makes me sad now. That's very sad. Don't mess with kids. To be devil's advocate here, do you think they're trying to do an Amityville here and like get a little fame from yes. this? Yes. Or do you think so? <laughs> I love that you were just like, no pause. Absolutely. Yes, I've been thinking it the whole time. I do. So you don't think anybody's messing with them? I think maybe there's like a little bit of something going on and they're just, they're seeing that it's working. I don't know. I don't know these people. I don't know what is going on I here. I don't know. To me, I mean, to me, I don't, I don't know if a genie is leaving threatening voicemails. It, you know what? That's what it is. That's it, it's really the, the threatening voicemails for that's me. That's the kicker. Because I'm also like, could this could this be like a flesh and blood human that's harassing you? Because that's scary. What's the number that they're calling from? Yeah, I gotta know. G- is it Genie? Like, is it saved in the phone as yeah, Genie? Yeah, like, what is... I gotta know. I don't know. It's also unclear what happens if the court verifies the Genie's actions because uh, there's no way to necessarily prosecute a paranormal entity. That was gonna be my next question. Unprecedented. Was like, so if you... If the court is like, yes. I don't know. Yep, it's a demonic genie that's who's doing this do we ask for compensation i think you know i I think that's the part of like where the amityville factor comes in here it's like the suing yeah i it's it's an interesting one (laughs) seven At number seven this week is Las Vegas killer, Kiana Hawkins. Kiana dialed 911 back in May 2019 and told the dispatcher she had found her roommate dead. Not good. But what really happened was Kiana accidentally shot her roommate while firing the gun at a spirit that came out of his body. She called it self-defense. I bet she did. Mm Mm-hmm. Here's how it went down. 30-year-old Kiana calls 911. North Las Vegas police get to her apartment at about 11.30 a.m. As we mentioned, when she called the police, she lied. She told them she found him like that, and that she believed spirits had killed him. Oh, see, and then the story's about to change like that? Of course it's gonna change it up. The story then changed to, her roommate came home at 4.30 a.m., but he brought some spirits home with him, you know, as one does. Roommates are tough. Yeah, you know, she didn't like house guests. Yeah, you just don't know what you're going to get. Some of your roommates are going to bring home like a bunch of guys for a party or a bunch of gals or a mixture, or they're going to bring home Casper and his brothers. Ghosts. And that's a bummer too, I suppose. Kiana claimed one of those spirits came out of his body. 
Sensing a threat, she shot at the spirit out of self-defense, but shot the roommate by mistake. Sure. Because it was coming out of his body. Correct. So I feel like that should have been something that should have been considered in that moment, but... Yeah. Ghosts aside, why did it take her seven hours to call 911? Probably to Is get anybody? that story together. Yeah, get, get that really airtight story together. Probably to turn on, like, haunted things. Yeah, just really gotta seal that alibi. According to the New York Post, the Clark County Coroner's Office reported the roommate, quote, died of a gunshot wound to the head and ruled the death a homicide. Kiana compared what happened to, quote, a virtual reality video game experience. Wow, that's really cold. I think that kind of tells us where we are here. Yeah. Obvious questions. Was she on drugs? Was she mentally healthy? I think those are two things we're all kind of wondering here, especially with those, one, it felt like a video game, like a virtual experience, and two, a ghost came out of him, so I shot him. Well, and it's like, you I don't think you would say it felt like a video game after if you were like very upset about no. what just happened. So it feels like something's going on. Well, detectives noted that she, quote, might be mentally disturbed, but she was evaluated and found fit to stand trial. Interesting. So there's that. Even though she maintains that she was fighting the spirit, Kiana accepted full responsibility. In January 2020, Keanu was sentenced to 11 to 28 years in a Nevada prison. I'm so, like, why that little? That's a very, and that's a very strange amount of years. It is. 11 to 28. I know, I'd love to know the charges. Yeah. It seems like there are still some unanswered questions to this story. Like, is she actually a killer and tried to seem, quote, unfit for trial? Were there any substances in her system? Or did she really just believe the spirits were there? Like, I need to know if she really believes that that's what happened. I need answers. I need answers. Six. Also on our list at number six is Australian psychic Cheryl Carol Loggerway. It wouldn't be a list about ghosts and spirits if we didn't include at least one psychic experience. Cheryl is an Aboriginal elder in Australia who had a vision and a gut feeling back in 2010 about the location of a young girl's body. So she goes to the location from her vision, but finds a different body completely. Not surprisingly, police are hesitant to give her psychic abilities too much credit. Roughly two weeks after a six-year-old girl went missing in 2010, Cheryl had this vision, a dream of where she'd find the young girl's body. That's a nightmare. That's absolutely a nightmare. She calls up a friend and they head to a nature preserve just west of Sydney to where she had seen, quote unquote, the body. Instead of the body of the missing girl, Cheryl and her friend discover the dismembered body of 31-year-old Christy McDougall, who had also been missing. The Australian reports that McDougal was a drug dealer who was killed by a man named Robert Best who owed her money. Best was charged with the murder, but was found not guilty in 2012. In terms of Cheryl's vision that led to the body, CBS News reported one detective saying, quote, for those who believe in such things, I understand the woman thinks she might have some psychic powers. I mean, it's a weird coincidence. That definitely is weird. It's not the one she was thinking, but... But she just stumble upon another body in that location? That doesn't just, like, happen. The detective also told the Sydney Morning Herald, quote, I have certain strong feelings about people who claim they are psychic. I don't think it will help if we enter a discussion on that. I wonder how he feels. (laughs) Strongly? (laughs) He's so vague. 
Well, I also understand why he's like, I don't really think it will help talking about this. I think it's this. real like, smart. I think we should probably that. focus on the actual crime itself. <laughs> yeah. Cheryl admitted to the local media that she can't explain it, but she simply had a vision of a young girl being murdered and where her body was located. I kind of, I do believe that she must have had some kind of vision. That's the thing. It's like, I've, I've heard of things where like dream, people have dreams, they have visions, and it's like almost, you know, prophetic in some way. Right. This is a weird one. It is like a weird one. She's she thinks she's going after one case and stumbles on another. So it's like that's a really weird coincidence. Yeah, I, maybe she just like got the wrong vision or something. Maybe the wires were crossed. Maybe. Somehow. But I do understand how police are like weary about that because oh, it's like yeah. if you start following all of these tips that you're you could just be led in the wrong direction because anyone can say they're a psychic. Of course. And you think of all these like, you know, famous psychics like what well, was it Sylvia Brown who mm-hmm. like literally told a family that their child was dead. Yes. And it turned out and not like to underwater. be true. And like underwater and stuff like that kind of stuff is so detrimental right. to everybody around them that it's like I understand why police are very weary I understand like a family member wanting to go to a psychic to try to figure something out but I do completely understand on the same token how police can't use it in an investigation all the time yeah because it can be comforting but that's kind of as far as it can be taken right because it just can't be proven yeah Wow, we had genies, we have psychics, we have ghosties. Like, yeah, more than I bargained for. We've had real estate. No, I, we did have real estate. It's a wild ride. So much <laughs> happened that I yeah. forgot. What's coming up next? I don't know, but this is fun. You do know you're next. Oh, I do. So I do know. Yay. It's October 20th, 2018. One day until the end of the world. I'm on the compound of a secretive religious organization, interviewing a longtime member. Their leader has predicted that tomorrow will be the beginning of the apocalypse. The prediction? Yes, I am prepared. It will purify life from a lot of illusions. When I started working on this story, I was hoping to profile a unique apocalyptic group that had survived through many failed doomsday predictions. But the end of the world was just the beginning. The only way to get to heaven was to allow him sexual activity with me. I didn't specifically give my consent. I was frozen at the time. The angels, they arranged it that he is supposed to have sex with his students. He is an amazing teacher and also he's a sick This is Revelations, a Spotify original from Parcast, premiering Sunday, October 3rd. All right, let's jump back in with number five on our countdown of ghastly, ghostly crimes. Starting off the second half of our list is the Red Barn Murder. This is the story of an English couple, William and Maria. It's a story that's been called one of the most famous murder cases of 19th century England, Though it kind of feels like all murders back then were like famous or the most famous. Very true. Spoiler alert, the story ends with Maria being killed and her stepmother having a supernatural dream that may or may not have been faked. Let's start with being very blunt. William was a very well-known liar and wasn't very well liked, even by his own family. He did it. 
<laughs> All right. To get him away from the family, his father once sent him to either go to work in London or go to sea. Basically, just go away. Like, just get out of here. William, just go to the sea. Go on, get. Just go to the sea. The ocean is calling. Just go Do get you hear it. it? Go, go ahead, Moana. Yeah, just get out of here. William, of course, then became friends with criminals and continued being a good Air Bunnies person. Yeah. Maria was an educated girl who, despite not having a ton of money, had expensive tastes. I feel that. That was Me too, Maria. It's been reported that a fortune teller told Maria she would die young. Ooh. And that she'd find riches and have many lovers. It sounds like a good life. Yeah. Short but good. As Great British Life wrote, quote, she was wrong only about the riches, which like, whoa the shade. Right? That's very petty. That's rude. Shade or not, they were right. Maria went on to have two children with different men who she did not marry. This included having a child with Thomas, William's brother. The first child, Thomas's, died as an infant, but the second lived, and the man sent her a little child support. Okay. Cut to William and Maria falling in love. But it had to be a secret relationship because, at the very least, the family disapproved. Why? Then Maria got pregnant with William's child, so the two decided they wanted to quietly elope in the red barn where they'd often meet up. That sounds cute, cute right? I love a barn wedding. It's very on Pinterest. It's, uh, yeah, you know, like this whole meet cute is unconventional, but it sounds like it's going places. You know, sometimes the best love stories are unconventional. You know? Now, during all of this, there was the lingering threat of Maria being charged with bearing illegitimate children, and William was still a giant liar and a thief. Kind of a hot mess all around. Remember? Well, you don't remember, but like the fact that that was a thing. Yes. Like being charged with having illegitimate children. Yeah, that's... To jail. To jail. That's insane. Scary. Maria had the baby, but it died not long after its birth. Oh, that's terrible. Turns out the marriage never took place. Maria ended up dead and buried in the barn. William skipped town and started weaving tales to convince people the two were still together and that Maria was alive. Oh, yep, I told you he did it. But then, enter the supernatural. That's the theme of the day, of course. The soup du jour. There it is. Maria's stepmother began receiving strange, very specific dreams about Maria's death being a murder and had her husband check the barn. They found her corpse. Whoa. Isn't that crazy? Ask and you shall receive. I told you so. Well, William was arrested. The trial was sensational. William was condemned to death. No question he murdered his wife. No, I never had a question. No, never. The questions are, was the stepmother really having dreams or did she know more than she was letting on? Rumors went around that maybe William and the stepmother had a thing. The stepmother was young, only a year older than Maria had been. Um, I feel like I don't know enough to judge, but like I do want to believe that she had a dream. I mean, if I'm like being super judgy from a place of not knowing any of these people or anything about them, (laughs) I think yes, there was a thing between him and the stepmother. But then why would she want to out him like that? Maybe he he sounds like he was kind of a turd. Maybe he just like did her wrong. No, I believe in the whimsy of it all. I know. Well, there's another question. Or it could be that the stepmother simply had a feeling about the barn and used the dreams as motivation to get her husband to look for their daughter. Oh. So maybe she just had a feeling. Or she had a dream that said, I mean, dream, feeling, same same vibe. Feelings, dreams, wishes, hopes, dreams. We all have them. Yeah.
four. Landing at number four this week is James Pink Chafin. The death of Pink's father in 1921 was unexpected and devastating, but then his father's will left everything to only Pink's brother, Marshall. Hurtful, but that seemed to be the end of it. That was his father's will. Until years later, when the ghost of Pink's father started showing up and the whole ordeal ended up in court. It was the news story at the time. But was it all a hoax? I hope not. (laughs) Pink's father, James, and the whole fam lived in North Carolina. Papa James died tragically after an accident in 1921. And in his will, he left his entire estate to his son, Marshall, Pink's brother, as we mentioned. Nothing to Pink, his other siblings, or his own widow. Like, wow, Papa James. Wow. wow I don't correct. know. It's like Marshall was his first son or something, but like Jeez. he really took that to a whole new level. For he, real. But then tragedy struck again. Marshall died. So Marshall's widow, Susie, inherited everything, including the house and 120 acres of land. I'm sus. Like, I would be like, no, 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 no. Feeling it. Pink, his siblings, and his mother still just go on about their lives until a few years later in 1925. Pink says his father's ghost visited him. The ghost of Papa James tells Pink to look for a note in a jacket pocket. Pink found the note in the pocket that revealed, there's a second will. Stop. It's hidden in Papa James's old Bible, like a fun little scavenger hunt after death. This is legendary. I'm obsessed. So Pink grabs his neighbor as a witness. They find the Bible and the second will, which says Papa James's estate should be divided evenly between his widow and all the kids. That makes more sense. Why wouldn't you just like get rid of the first will? Right. That's just like a first draft, like paper shredder. Like, yeah. I know it's 1921, work. but like throw it in the ocean. I don't know. Throw it in the ocean. I don't know. That's how you get rid of stuff in 1921. I mean, it probably was. Into the ocean. Into the ocean you go. William was off to sea. He was. Everybody's off to sea. There you go. Well, now we're off to court. <laughs> <laughs> As you would expect, the newspapers of the time went mad for the story since there was a ghost involved, which honestly would be the same <laughs> thing today. <laughs> At the time, I'm like, if this happened right this second. Right. It would be bonkers. Ghosts, I'm there. Yeah. Despite the sensational angle of the ghost dad, it came down to handwriting. Did the signatures match? Was this second will even real? Was it? Susie and her lawyers were not risking it because they struck a deal before the court ruled and agreed to the second will's wishes. Suspect. To me, that seems like they knew they were going to lose. I feel like maybe Marshall like wrote a fake will. I think that they knew that ghost dad was going to haunt them forever if they didn't just. Yeah, we don't mess with the afterlife. No, no. So cut to a group of paranormal investigators who began to question everything as they should have. And the one big question, why didn't the ghost of Papa James just send Pink directly to the Bible instead of the note in his jacket first that pointed to the Bible? Because he likes scavenger hunts. Obviously, it's like he's playing games in the afterlife. I don't see this being a question. What do you next? Just stop having fun when you yeah, die? Yeah, you don't. It's like, I don't know. Do you, th- do you think Pink and his siblings orchestrated this entire thing? I think maybe. Number three on our countdown of ghastly, ghostly crimes is the Greenbrier Ghost. Elva Zona Heastershoe. That is a woman's full name. Yeah, it is. But we will simply call her Zona. 
Zona was found dead on January 23rd, 1897. Her body was lying at the bottom of the stairs in her home, which could point to an accident or natural causes. Well, neither, according to Zona, because she reached out from the other side to set the record straight and took down her killer. From the beginning of this, I knew she was going to be a boss lady. That's right. That name alone? Mm -hmm. Come on. Well, poor Zona's body was found by a young boy who helped her with chores around the house. He immediately ran to get Zona's husband, Edward. Who already knew everything. <laughs> he already knew. I'm just questioning. <laughs> Edward got there, called for the doctor, Dr. Knapp, who examined Zona's body and determined she, quote, died of an everlasting faint, which is a heart attack. What a beautiful way of putting it. It is like, that's very beautiful. Instead of saying like, oh, I had a heart attack, like I had an everlasting faint. That's like, <laughs> that's like lyrical. An everlasting love. Baby. I love that. Shady moves here, though. The entire time during the examination, Edward held Zona's head in his arms, an area the doctor then never examined. Mm -hmm. Is that love or is that something else entirely? What's love got to do with it? Nothing. He also was present when her body was prepared for burial, put in her casket and stood by the casket during the funeral, all the while protecting her head area. Are we seeing a pattern? Yes. See anything... That's the same here? Yes. Protecting the head. Edward also covered and surrounded Zona's head with a lot of fabric, including what he called one of Zona's favorite scarves. I bet. Zona was eventually buried with no one even being sus about all the Edward covering her head stuff. Like, I guess was just like, it's fine. When you're like watching it, you're probably just like, oh, he loves he his loves wife her. so much. Like, just he just can't her let head. her go. Of course. You're not thinking like he did something. Because what kind of like idiot is going to be covering the head so like not subtly right. the entire time edward edward but then zona's mom had an experience she claimed that zona's ghost came to her several nights in a row to say that edward had killed her oh yeah zona's mom gets the prosecutor to believe her Dr. Knapp also gets on board and agrees he may have been wrong. Wow, and for a doctor to admit that, like, yeah. that's that's big. Because usually the doctors are like, no, no. Nope, got it right the first I time. I was right. See you later, goodbye. Bye. An investigation reveals Edward's actually been married twice before. Who oh, has he? And both women died under mysterious circumstances. Oh, did they? Are we seeing some weird stuff here? Dead wives. Then Zona's body is exhumed. And what do you know? Her neck was broken and her windpipe was smashed. Dr. Knapp. Sir. That's what I'd I'm like thinking. to have a discussion. That's exactly what I'm thinking. I'm not even thinking of anyone else here. I'm like, get that, get the good doctor back in also, here. So like, please. was there no red mark on her? Like, get the good doctor back in here. Let me see his credentials. I'm taking them. His credential. I would like to see all that. What? How did you miss that? Honestly, like, when was this? His dad was probably just the doctor before. Yeah, 1897, Likely. his dad was the doctor. Honestly, at that point, it was probably like, he's the best looking guy in town. Let's make him the doctor. He's a doc. Yeah, that Dr. works. Dr. McSteeny. There you go. OG. There, there was evidence she had been choked as well. Plus other major damage to the ligaments in the neck area. Oh my gosh. Something terrible happened here. Yeah. On June 22nd, 1897, the jury found Edward guilty but it was made very clear in the press he was guilty of murder and not because a ghost told on him, which is hilarious. They were like a ghost to not rat him out. But she did. But in reality, she really did. Edward went off to state prison where he died in March, 1900. 
and hopefully Elva Zona Heaster Shoe is resting peacefully now. That last one really got me. That one just had like a lot of feels. It had, yeah, like a a mama and daughter relationship just really gets me every time. And like Edward. I hate him. I hope he's just getting kicked. Do you love that in the first sentence? I was like, oh, he did it. Oh, yeah. I mean, as soon as it comes, like the the, husband did it. They introduced the husband. Like, I have a shirt that says that. It's a a good bet. It is. It's a pretty good bet. It's like 60 40, maybe even like 70 30, I'd say. It truly is. But I think, I mean, we're covering all the bases here. We have a genie so far, which I can't get over. I will never get over. I'm in awe. We have a psychic. We have ghosts. We have realtors. We have wills. They're talking about wills. We We have have multiple wills. We have tons. I mean, we're covering it all. Yeah, we're rounding these bases. So ghastly. So ghostly. What's next? I don't know, because you have it. I know. We're down to the final two spots on our countdown of ghastly, ghostly crimes. At number two is Teresita Bassa, who posthumously solved her own murder. After Teresita was found murdered in her Chicago apartment in 1977, the evidence just wasn't there to solve it, and the case sadly went cold. But then detectives got a call from a doctor in Skokie, Illinois, who claimed his wife was now possessed by the spirit of Teresita. It seemed unbelievable until his wife started naming names and giving clues that only Teresita would have known. On February 21, 1977, firefighters responded to a fire in a Chicago apartment building. They found the body of Teresita Bassa. Naked, burned, and under a mattress with a knife sticking out of her chest. Jeez. Like, that's a scene and a half. Yeah. 47-year-old Teresita worked as a respiratory therapist at a local hospital, but that seemed like all the info detectives had to work with. The case just didn't go anywhere fast. Until one homicide detective received a note on his desk with instructions to contact Dr. Jose Chua. Dr. Chua said his wife was possessed by the spirit of the murdered woman, Teresita Bassa. Sounded crazy, but he had some proof. The quote-unquote voice that came out of Dr. Chua's wife gave a name, Alan Showery. She claimed this was the murderer. The voice also gave details of the crime, that Showery had come to fix Teresita's TV and that he stole some of her jewelry. Now, this could be where other detectives would have walked away, but the detectives on the case looked into it. Good. Turns out Alan Showery was an orderly at the hospital where Teresita worked. Police questioned him, caught him in some lies, and then even found the jewelry Teresita's ghost had described. What? Like, wow. The real Teresita's family confirmed that it was her jewels. Showery ended up confessing and received 14 years in jail for her murder, nearly two years after the crime was committed. This may be the only confession through possession case in history. That's wild. Just I love it. How she was they were able to like provide details that only someone there would know. Exactly. Like that that's what I'm saying in the whole beginning of this when I was like you just can't deny it. Like no, it's there it is. How do you explain that? I don't know. Somebody tell me. One. 
And that brings us to number one on our countdown of the top 10 ghastly ghostly crimes, the Hammersmith Ghost. We're all aware of ghost hunters. They're very popular on TV shows. It's become a pop culture phenomenon, but that's just to uncover the presence of spirits. In 1804, the idea of ghost hunting was taken very literally by a man named Francis Smith, who was determined to kill a ghost that had been scaring the locals and he ended up in jail for murder. By January 1804, locals in the Hammersmith neighborhood of London kept reporting sightings of a ghost in the area. Which already, I I'm love in. that like locals are just being like, I keep seeing a ghost just How about walking you? around. Did you see that last Did week? Did you see that ghost? Mary, Sue, come like, over here. I love that, I want that to happen. According to the Newgate Calendar, a true crime periodical from the era, People reportedly said it was, quote, dressed in white robes and, quote, had left two passerby seriously ill with shock. So it sounds like the ghost isn't just hanging around. It's like kind of being a menace. It sounds like it. A little bit. It allegedly wrapped its arms around a local woman who fainted. The Newgate calendar says, quote, kindly neighbors led her home, whereupon she took to her bed and never rose again. Oh, that's really dramatic. It is dramatic and sad. sad. Yeah. And it also said that, quote, another witness saw the apparition discard a white tablecloth and run. It's Teresa from the Real Housewives of <laughs> New Jersey. Like, like, what ghost throws the tablecloth and then just, like, takes off? Teresa Giudice. <laughs> but she's like a ghost. Is yeah. she doing it in the afterlife, too? Well, I don't know. Is she going to continue that later? Probably, she better. I don't know. Ask her. Well, at the same time this ghost was causing panic in the community, local bricklayer Thomas Millwood was also causing some problems. Thomas liked to walk around at night, and as a bricklayer during that time, he was dressed in all white. White flannel clothes and a white apron. Ah, uh, there we go. Not shocking to find out, he scared quite a few people. Like, read the room, Thomas. Yeah, like, come <laughs> you're, on. You're freaking people out. Make an assessment. Make an assessment. When Thomas was confronted by those he scared, the Newgate calendar reports, quote, he told them he was no more a ghost than any of them and asked one man if he wished for a punch in the head. You want to get punched? I'm going to be honest. Thomas sounds kind of hilarious. He does. <laughs> like, he doesn't care at all that he's just walking around in all white. It also sounds like people. he just thought that it was like preposterous. He's like, you think I'm a ghost? Like, you want me to punch yeah, you in the like, head? You know what? I'm not a ghost. You want to punch in the head? Yeah, he right. He just, and you know what? He didn't punch anyone in the head. He just said it. He was very polite. He asked if they would like one. <laughs> you know? And I'm sure they said no. And he went on his way. There you go. Goodbye. Well, needless to say, he didn't give an F. Even when his family asked him to at least put on a darker overcoat or something. <laughs> He's like, listen, I am not doing this whole white before or after Labor Day thing. Yeah. I don't care, mom. He's like, I I am who I am. I'm a fashion, you know, maverick. I, I don't need to do this. Love monochromatic outfits. Yeah, I don't. I'm not serving anyone. It's I'm just. I'm just serving looks. It's culture. Okay. Yeah. Enter Francis Smith. In January 1804, Francis decided he was going to hunt down the ghost of Hammersmith once and for all, and grabbed a gun. At this point, we all have the same thought: How do you shoot a ghost? Uh, you don't. Francis's heart was in the right place, but like not so much his brain, I'm thinking. Yeah. Well, before his paranormal vigilante shift began that night, 
Francis had a few drinks at the Black Lion pub. Ooh. So logic probably wasn't on his side. Not good to grab a gun and a couple drinks. Those no. two things don't necessarily go together. Especially when your first thought, when you're like sober, before you even grab the gun, is like, I need to go shoot that ghost. But first... it's only going to make it worse. Drinks. Yeah, it's only going to make it's it worse. happy hour. Now, reportedly around 11 p.m., the ghost showed up near the pub. Ghost drink I just, too. I love that the ghost, they're like, oh, the ghost is here. He's, he hey, came. check it. It's here. And Francis was ready. He or, was ready. Or was he? Francis asked the ghost to identify himself. Again, not sure how much Francis knew about ghosts. I feel like somebody should have been like, do you, do you know what a ghost is? Have you heard a ghost story? Just tell me something real quick. What's a ghost, Do you, Francis? Identify. Can you go ahead and just like tell me? I'm going to put three invisible men in a lineup. You tell me which one is a ghost. Like He just walked up to a ghost and was like, identify yourself. You a ghost? I'm a ghost. You ghosting me? You're ghosting. The ghost allegedly then moved towards Francis, so he shot it. I think we know the twist here. The ghost was actually Thomas Millwood wandering around in the dark in all white clothing, mm-hmm. which is sad. Thomas was taken into the Black Lion, but sadly, he died. Two men making dumb decisions. I can't believe that didn't end well. I know, usually it goes so differently. Shocking. Obviously, Francis Smith went on trial for murder, but it was his defense that really was the highlight. He said, quote, I did kill him, but I honestly thought he was a ghost. End quote. Yeah. Yep. So the jury had to consider the fact that he wasn't looking to murder Thomas. It was mistaken identity. He was trying to kill a ghost. After all. But killing a ghost, like, it's already dead. It also kind of seems like a good way to get rid of somebody you don't like by mm-hmm. being like, oh, no, I didn't want to kill Thomas. Good old Thomas. Ghost. I thought he was a ghost. That's all. I never would have killed Thomas. I also feel like the townspeople were like up to something and they just referred to Thomas as a ghost, but they mm. all knew that he wasn't a ghost. But yeah. then they were all like, we got you. There was some nonsense happening. Nonsensical times. Well, the jury actually agreed with Francis and delivered a verdict of manslaughter. Oh. But the judge overruled them and made the jury simply choose between guilt or innocence of murder. The ghost could have no bearing on the verdict. Fair. I love that he even had to say that. Francis was found guilty of murder and originally sentenced to death, but that was changed to a year in prison with hard labor. Ooh. The Hammersmith case was used 180 years later, in the early 1980s. In that case, a man thought he was witnessing someone being attacked, so he intervened. The truth was, the man he thought he was saving was actually the criminal. So the man who interfered actually attacked the good guy and was charged with assault. Oh, that's sad. That's why you just don't get involved. That's why you just don't help anybody Mind your business. He appealed, saying he genuinely believed he was stopping a criminal. The judge agreed and overturned his conviction. Oh, okay. Mistaken belief is the phrase some have used to describe that case. Just as Francis believed he was shooting the ghost that was terrifying the town. So, this is like sticky to me. Yeah, the whole mistaken belief thing. As like a legal. As a legal Argument. argument, I just don't think that it works. It feels like a slippery slope. Because anybody can say that they thought something and then they were wrong. Exactly. Like, you could kill someone and be like, oh no, but I thought that they had hurt someone. And it's just, like, so easy to say. Yeah. And I feel, yeah, it just, I don't know. Like you said, it would get sticky. Yeah. I don't, I don't love it. I love it for the 1800s. I don't love it for now. Mm -hmm. 
It seems like legally a judge would have had to confirm that ghosts are real. Then Francis would have had a real mistaken identity problem. Yeah, that could have been an ongoing case for quite some time. That could still be going on right now. Legitimately. So I would say that some guy shooting a ghost because he thought that he could kill a ghost, but it actually was a guy and not kind a of ghost. dressed like a ghost that didn't care that he was scaring people who thought he was a ghost. Number one. Would definitely be number one. <laughs> Numero uno. Yeah, I think I think you nailed it with that one. High key. I don't think I'm necessarily well-versed in this subject. Me neither. So this was just kind of like really fun to read about. It was, yeah. I I really enjoyed this episode. I want to do another one like this. I wish I had something to get you on, Research Gods, but I don't. Yeah, you know, we'll try again next week. Just a pat on the back. All right. Well, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another great episode. Remember to follow Crime Countdown on Spotify to get a brand new episode delivered every week. You can find all episodes of Crime Countdown and all other podcast shows for free on Spotify. And if you like this show, follow at Parcast on Facebook and Instagram and at Parcast Network on Twitter. And if you like us, which I hope you do, you can follow our podcast Morbid. You can find us on Instagram at Morbid Podcast or on Twitter at A Morbid Podcast. We hope you keep it weird until Monday and light your sage in the meantime. Crime Countdown is executive produced by Max Cutler and is a Spotify original from Parcast. It was created by Max Cutler. Sound design by Kristen Acevedo with associate sound design by Anthony Valsic. Fact checking by Claire Cronin. Research by J.K. Heo. It's produced by John Cohen, Kristen Acevedo, and Jonathan Ratliff. With production assistance by Ron Shapiro. We're your hosts, Ash Kelly and Elena Urquhart. The only way to get to heaven was to allow him sexual activity with me. These are not the people that you would normally associate with a cult. Do you think I need to be worried for my safety? I definitely think you should be prudent. This is Revelations, a Spotify original from Parcast, premiering Sunday, October 3rd.